This is Kate Swoboda, creator of YourCourageousLife.com, director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at TeamCLCC.com, and author of the book, The Courage Habit, which is available at booksellers and at Amazon. The Your Courageous Life podcast is all about going after what you want and creating and living a more courageous, emotionally resilient life. Might drop a couple of F-bombs, so maybe don't listen with your kids in the backseat of the car. And here we go with today's episode. Hey, y'all. Hey. How about we talk about how to change a habit, as in getting down to the nitty gritty of how to change a habit. So this is a good podcast for anyone. If you've ever had trouble changing something, if you've ever wondered, okay, got, got it. I have a habit. I see that it's a habit. Now, how do I change a habit? Well, this is this is going to be it. I'm I'm going to I'm going to do a little step by step on how to change a habit. So, particularly I notice this every new year as articles about changing habits in order to change your life emerge, change your habit, change your life. We talk about changing habits as if it's as simple as making a decision. And this is true-ish, right? Okay. Not a binary here. It's true in some ways, but not as true in others. And I'm going to break that down. So the language of talking about changing habits as if it's just this simple decision usually is, okay, you identify the old habit that you want to change. You pick what you want for a new habit you want to move to. And just when you are confronted in the moment to do life differently, you just choose. It's just willpower, right? It's just about hard work, right? And and yes-ish, all of those components are pieces of it, but there's a little more nuance. And I see so many smart people apply this philosophy to behavior change in such a way that it is as if they're studying for a test and with a little elbow grease and sitting at a dedicated desk each day with flashcards, they're going to get their A+. And when that approach to it it is some piece's mindset and the lens you're putting on how to change a habit. When this approach does work, there's often a feeling of having hit the goal, but feeling really tired and unfulfilled and blaming yourself for not having tried hard enough. So there's definitely a flavor of perfectionism running through this approach to habit change. And of course, there are a few problems with this approach to changing a habit if you just leave it at that. Again, those are components. It is a component to identify an old habit that you want to change. It is a component to pick what you want for a new habit. It is a component to choose in the moment to do things differently. But we're going to work out some of the pieces of that process that just don't quite fit. And if you've wondered to yourself, well, why, why don't I keep trying that, that old way of trying to change habits? Surely if I do it, I'll get there eventually. Well, I, I'm looking at, it's not a lot of fun to grind yourself down into a fine powder in order to change something in your life. And additionally, we got to learn, we got to integrate the piece that's about your brain and how your brain creates or changes habits because it's not just willpower and it's not just hard work. So here, let's get into this, how to change a habit. So let me give you an example of how habits work when we're creating behavior change. And I'm going to use 
a relatively innocuous example, and of course, as you're listening, substitute whatever your own dreams happen to be for what I'm saying here. So I'm going to play with this idea of you have decided you want to make some kind of art every single day. And if making art is not your dream or thing you want to integrate into your life, maybe you want to start a new career. Maybe you want to write the book you know you have in you. Maybe you want to fix your marriage or maybe you want to adopt a habit related to your health, such as exercise or meditation. All right. You want to make art. Let's try this example. You don't necessarily think that you're going to be a famous artist with this example. You just know that when you walk through an art store, the colors of the paint call to you. And you want to, you just, you feel that feeling of, I want to make some art. You get these heady little rushes where you think about how amazing it would be to pull a little corner of your home to be an art studio. You decide to spend some money on art supplies. And then at home, the rush of inspiration and fun starts to go a little bit. And in its place is this low grade feeling. Something isn't quite right. Maybe you try to create something and then it feels like a lot of pressure. Like you have to create something really amazing. Maybe it occurs to you that the ideas in your head aren't going to translate to whatever you're visually creating right away. Maybe you can see it in your head, but the fine motor skills or your ability to use certain materials just isn't making that appear on the page. Maybe you make a few attempts and it just feels so awkward that it's dissatisfying. So what's common in these situations And again, you can insert anything, the awkwardness of going, I'm going to fix my marriage and the rush of inspiration to do that, that then quickly goes downhill the second your partner does that thing that is so freaking annoying. Or maybe I'm going to start meditating and you start meditating and you do great with it for a bit and then something shifts and it just doesn't go as planned. And Whatever your dream is, when things tend to go this way, if you are nodding your head and you're kind of like, what actually happened? Where did all the joy go? (laughs) What happened to that initial hit of inspiration or fun or I can do this? Well, here's what happened. You had the inspiration to do something different than how you had habitually done it and you followed it. Yay. High five. And then right at the point when this something different required a different set of behaviors or ways of thinking, you felt anxiety. And anxiety is is why it didn't feel quite right for some reason. With habit formation, we would call these not quite right feelings a cue. Because that cue paves the way for what comes next for so many people, which is taking a break whatever you want to call from it, taking a break from the art, taking a break from working on the marriage, taking a break from pivoting to a new career, talking yourself out of it is one form of taking a break. So Q is the not quite right feeling, which then leads to, in response to that Q, for most people, when they are not thinking consciously about how this process works, I feel a Q of discomfort, so I back off. And that is the routine in habit formation. The cue of something didn't feel great, so I go into the routine of backing off. 
that cue of not feeling right. That's the routine, the response. And that actually leads to the third part of the habit formation process, which is a reward. Habit formation works on a cue, routine, reward loop. And you might be thinking to yourself, what? The reward, how is it a reward if I feel a cue of discomfort and then I back off? What reward am I getting there? Well, in the long term, if if your goal is to make art every day, say, or to have a better marriage or to travel the world or to write a book or to change careers or to, and all the things, in the long term, that's not a reward if you backed off. But in the short term, in the short term, the routine of taking a break does lead to the reward of releasing some of that pressure, dialing back some of the intimidation you feel. And the cue leads to routine, leads to reward over and over and over until we interrupt it, until we go, it's leading to a short-term reward, but this is not the reward I want. I actually want a bigger reward. So the key to changing habits comes in when we start to change them, not extinguish them. And in The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg explains what he calls the golden rule of habit change as being, he says, quote, you can't extinguish a bad habit, you can only change it. And what he means by this is that on some level, you, you probably cannot always change the cues. He gives this great example of being at work and the receptionist has a, a candy jar out on their desk and every time you're going past it, you inevitably pick up some candy. You're not going to make the receptionist put away their candy. You're also not going to put every single, you know, like if you're trying not to have so much sugar, you're not going to make the receptionist put away candy. You're not going to dictate to your coworkers that they can't ever have sugar around you. You're not going to walk outside and magically find the world suddenly devoid of donut shops. So if you decide you want to change something in your life, change a habit, trying to change the cue, the thing that causes the initial stress is Sure, you can you can do what you can to to change that cue, but that cue of stress is always going to be there. Also, you're always going to want the reward if you feel stress. So if we've got cue routine stress, a cue routine reward, cues are always going to be present. Welcome to life. It is not always fun, and stress happens. Rewards are always going to be present. Welcome to life. When you feel stressed, you're going to want something that gets you to whatever decreases stress. That's the reward. You will always have cues. You will always desire rewards. The part that you change is the part in the middle, the routine. That is the piece that you change. So in other words, to go back to our art example, if you had this initial inspiration to buy a bunch of art supplies and you want to create art and then you back down, you went into a routine of avoidance that led to the short-term reward of feeling less stress, less intimidation about what you're going to create with those art supplies. So maybe you know that you've got these art supplies you never use. You're going to need a different routine, a different response to the cue of this just doesn't feel right. 
if you know you need to confront your debt, but you haven't started, if you know you need to meditate regularly, but you always put it off, if you know that you need a different approach to parenting your kids when they are just at like peak misbehavior, if you know that dot, 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 whatever the thing is that you wish were different, you're not going to magically wave a wand and get rid of the stress you feel. You're not going to magically wave a wand and somehow become this numbed out person, or at least I hope you won't. I suppose you could get there with enough chemical substances, but we're not going for numb. We're not going to for, I don't even care about whatever would relieve stress. The routine in the middle is always where you're going to want to look. Now, some of you who have read my book, The Courage Habit, which is available, booksellers everywhere, Powell's and Target even, it's on the Target website. That's kind of cool to me. Um, (laughs) I love Target. Um, You know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, of course, is all over the place. If you've read The Courage Habit, if you are a Your Courageous Life subscriber and you have the the free Fear Patterns Workbook, head to yourcourageouslife.com forward slash begin then you know a little bit about the four common fear routines people go into. You know a little bit about this process. There's a cue, a routine, and a reward. With these cues, routines, and rewards in the routine phase of this cycle, there are four common fear-based routines that people get stuck in. They are perfectionism, pessimism, people-pleasing, and self-sabotage. So some people, to use the art example, they feel the cue of stress around creating art and they go into perfectionism. Why can't I be better? I suck at art. And then they put the materials away. Some people feel the cue of stress when they're making art and they go into pessimism. Oh, I don't even know why I bothered. And then they put the materials away. Some people go into people-pleasing when they feel the stress around creating art. They start thinking of the imaginary critic, the person that they should make it good enough, the art good enough for, or alternatively, they start going, it's really selfish of me to spend time on this thing. And it causes me so much stress anyway, better go save somebody else's life. Better go be a better mother, better go be a better wife, better go be a better worker. This isn't making any money for my family. It's selfish for me to devote this time to myself. And some people feel the cue of stress when they try to make art And they go into self-sabotage. Like maybe they show their early work to the most critical person in their life. And then they're shocked when that person isn't supportive. People do this all over the place. They do it with their marriages. I'm going to change my marriage. I'm going to make it better. And then when things get stressful, they go into perfectionism. I didn't do it perfectly. I suck. Or they go into pessimism. Oh, what's even the point? You know, he's never going to change. My partner's never going to change. They aren't going to be different. People pleasing. You know what? I just need to put my own BS to the side and just do whatever my partner needs. Self-sabotage. Coming out the gate with, I'm not taking any more crap. And then the conversation just can't even go to a good place because somebody came out of the gate agitated and edgy. These are just quick examples. Yes, I'm familiar with all of them. I'm familiar with all of them. Yes, I'm talking about in my marriage. Yes, I'm talking about with making art. (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about in every area. And 
if you hear me laughing, you think that's odd. It's like, to me, this is the freedom of getting real about these patterns is that instead of it being this like shameful secret that I've ever had these patterns, now it's just like, yeah, and what are you going to do? Welcome to life. So cue routine reward. We feel a cue of stress. We go into a routine. The four fear routines are perfectionism, people-pleasing, pessimism, and self-sabotage, and they always lead to short-term rewards. And what we want is to interrupt that routine so that we can, instead of going to fear-based routines, go into courage-based routines because that gets us to the long-term change. Once you see clearly which routine you go into most often, you can get off the treadmill of working harder, working harder, working harder to change your habits. And instead, you can slow down. You can soften. You can pause for a moment as you notice what your defaults are. You can get more present And when you slow down and get off of that treadmill of just going into a fear-based routine by default, you will find that you are in the midst of that routine and you'll ask yourself, is that, what am I doing in this routine? Is that really what I want right now? Is there some discomfort I can lean into maybe rather than run away, rather than sabotage it, rather than get pessimistic about it? And if I can just be with that discomfort a little bit, can I create something new? And I think that's really powerful. I see this as, you know, people think habit formation is either nerdy scientific or like rigid accountability. And I see in habit formation so much holistic, honoring, compassionate work. Because to change a habit, you have to get present to what the habits are that you want to change and the somatic signals that come up. What if change could happen through a series of gentle whispers instead of loud, stressful exhortations to do it better? What if changing your life meant slowing the process down enough to actually focus and think through what it is you truly want to do? That's what I see happening with habit formation. What I notice in my own life and when I work with clients is that when I'm slowing down enough to really think through what it is, what's going on, What is it that I need? The challenges don't seem so daunting. I feel a lot less pressure to get it right. My curiosity can lead the way more. I feel more confident. I feel more courageous simply because I feel good in my own skin. And I want this for you too. I want you to give yourself the gift of slowing down enough to examine your habits and release the white-knuckled grip of marching through life with all of that tight willpower. Or if you don't have tight willpower, feeling like you're just totally incapable of change when you are. You are capable of change. 
and the habits that underlie your life day to day to day are probably going to have a lot more impact on how you feel about your life than one big fell swoop of change. You are empowered to change your life if you want to. And you absolutely can change your life in ways that feel good. One habit, one breath, one moment at a time. All right, that's today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You know you can continue the work and the fun if you want to. Head on over to yourcourageouslife.com forward slash begin and become a Your Courageous Life subscriber because as soon as you sign up, you get access to an entire library of worksheets and audios and other bonuses. And of course, you'll be receiving more courage in your inbox and who wouldn't love that? You can learn more about the Courageous Living Coach Certification at teamclcc.com. You can get the Courage Habit at your local bookseller, on Amazon, wherever you like. We can even connect on social media. I'm on Facebook at Your Courageous Life. So look for facebook.com forward slash Your Courageous Life. And I'm on Instagram as Kate Courageous. And I'd love to connect with you on Instagram. So here's to you using these courageous tools in your life and creating a real ripple effect of good. And again, thanks so much for listening. I love it that you're here.